Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. In this episode, which is a duet, I really like that we came up with the name for it when Andy wasn't here. Because that gives me something to say that's not, sorry, (laughs) it's a duet. There's a little bit more excitement to it that way. Let's sing our song, Charlie. Sing our wonderful duet, which this is unintentional, but there's two times, which fits the theme of duet. Two times I've done special music at church. Oh, no. Uh, One of them I did, it was like three, oh, no, it was four of us. I think it was Cameron, Taylor, and Tyler. And we like really awkwardly meshed together two songs. It was okay, whatever. Um, You know, and everyone amen and thought it was fine. Anyway, the first time I ever was up front, like singing, there was like a short little group of us singing a song from camp. It was coming back from senior high camp. And I knew the song like confidently and had a buddy who's playing guitar. And then there's like a handful of us that are going to come in on the first verse. Mm. And he played the intro and I was the only one that started singing. And I, I came in at the right time and nobody else was like confident enough to like do it. So it made it look like I had made a mistake when in fact I hadn't. And I'm like, so when I stopped singing, I like look over at everybody and he stops playing. He's like, let's try again. Did it again? The same thing happened. Oh, they didn't join you again? It was the third time, and I was like, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to start singing until we're halfway through that first verse. (laughs) And it was like this awkward little, like, like eek into the verse. Anyway, so I don't do well with singing. Anyway, (laughs) so what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to have a quote from a book in honor of Andy not being here. We are going to talk about a book, and then we're going to have a devotional. Uh, So housekeeping item i think tim you have our andy quote of the day so i'm taking this from the tolkien biography that i've been reading by humphrey uh carpenter uh we've talked about it on a couple of episodes in um before world war one uh, tolkien was at oxford and at oxford some of the students would at least some of them would have a scout which sounds a lot like a research assistant which would be awesome. <laughs> some professors get those, but uh, to think back that some of the students would even have uh, a person to kind of help them acquire sources and do their research would would have been special. But anyway, then he's pulled up into the war uh, and he talks about how terrible the war is and how all of the people in the war, they're, they're not, there's not a community. There's not the, the, uh, you know the inklings the the uh, tcbs was what the, what uh, his fellowship was and nobody really cared they 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 just weren't interested um but there were some that he was able to befriend and it was the batmen and the batmen michael keaton were <laughs> essentially like the oxford scouts and I'm just going to read through this. And this was the inspiration to, for um, one of the characters in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, officers could not make friends, uh, but each officer had a Batman, a servant who is detailed to look after his kit 
and care for him much in the manner of an Oxford scout. Through this, Tolkien got to know several of the men very well. Discussing one of the principal characters in The Lord of the Rings, he wrote many years later, My Sam Gamgee is indeed a reflection of the English soldier, of the privates and batmen I knew in the 1914 war, and recognized as so far superior to myself. So I really just appreciated that idea and quote, the origin of Sam Gamgee, and even Tolkien's elevation of the Batman, who helped him accomplish his mission, uh, the, the camaraderie that he was able to develop with what seems like such lowly individuals, but essential, just like Sam Gamgee. I like it. I'm trying to think in my mind of some way to put Sam and Batman and Robin into an idea, but there it is. There's the idea. Let it go. <laughs> so what are we going to do next? Uh, do we have some Thinklings business to tend to? Well, in fact, Tim, we do have some books in business. What? <laughs> you said it. And say, books in business. Let's talk about some books. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's talk about some books. <laughs> Oh, we're falling apart here at the Thinklings Podcast. Anyway, so I have finished the book, Character Matters, Shepherding and the Fruit of the Spirit by Aaron Minikoff. You've heard me uh, read multiple portions of it already. And uh, so I'm just going to give a quick little summary and then two thoughts about the book, and then I'll give a rating. And so a quick summary as the subtitle gives away, it is about shepherding, pastoring, or in nine marks language, eldering. It's about doing those things in the spirit. So shepherding in the fruit of the spirit. The heart of the book is as a pastor or elder, ministry leader, by extension, you could just say Christian, but specifically as a ministry leader, how do you intentionally pursue and develop the fruits of the spirit? I did not know that was what it was about, specifically when I got it. I I love the the cover of this book is like different slices of different fruits. So there's like a red apple top, a slice of an orange, a slice of a, a slice of a green apple, a slice of an orange, a slice of an apple. And it's like all of them are like kind of falling together. And uh so I should have maybe known right away we're talking about fruit, because there's fruit on the cover. But my initial reaction was, oh, it's going to be kind of a, a treatise, an essay on why someone's character matters when they're in ministry and thinking like the qualifications and being someone of genuine character, which he is talking about that. But really the heart and the flow of the book is he just goes through the fruit of the spirit, talks about, in some cases, personal struggles that he's had or sort of the perspectives or wrong perspectives that we may have on those fruits of the Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. He goes through them one by one, talks about them, and then in a sense tries to encourage other ministry leaders to develop or pursue these virtues. And so I like the idea of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be completely honest. When I got to chapter one, and I saw the subheading under chapter one, and it was the list of the fruits of the Spirit, and then 
love was emboldened. And I realized, oh, he's just going to go through the fruit of the spirit. I was a little disappointed. I, I could tell. And I was like, so that's, that's what the book is. And I, I instantly know what he's going to do. And chapter one, love. We should be loving. Chapter two, joy. You should be joyful. Chapter three, I'm, I knew it was coming. And so that being said, right away, I kind of had maybe a negative critique of it. But I still kept going through it. Uh, I just saw this meme the other day and uh, posted it recently. And it is uh, a clip from a TV show where a guy's like, do I like to do it? No, I don't. Do I still do it? Yeah, I do. But I don't like it. You know, it's like this really funny little quote. And but the subtext is finishing a book you don't want to finish. Do I do it? Yeah. Do I enjoy it? No, I don't. (laughs) I still do it. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this book anyway. Well done. And I would have given up. Yeah. Well, I did read quite quickly, quickly at certain points. I will say, as I read, I started thinking through how we read, like different types of reading. There's certainly like an analytical reading and there's kind of like an imaginative reading. And I think you can read a book like this very devotionally. Right. That's what I was thinking. And it sounds like you did benefit from it. Yes. Devotionally. Absolutely did. And uh, especially patience, meekness. Gentleness. uh, Gentleness. I thought you mentioned that chapter. uh, Mm -hmm. Self-control. There's a couple of them where I was like, oh, that's a good thought. Mm -hmm. It's a good thought. Uh, Wasn't what I was expecting, but did in the end uh, provide some nice cultivation. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, that's what the book is. You're going to walk through the fruit of the Spirit. It's a nine marks book, so you're going to have some nine marksy theology in there, and so just be prepared for that. And but there, not any like overdosing or anything of it. But uh, there's so there's particular points that I thought were interesting perspectives that are helpful ways to think through some of the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. I liked when he started talking about joy. Like, how do you find joy? And his answer: you stop looking for it. Mm. And I thought that, man, that's a really catchy thing. Like, was he gonna, how's he going to build that out? And uh, it's been, you know, like a month and a half since I read that chapter. But in a sense, he talked about contentment. Contentment isn't something that you search for and search for and search for and find. Contentment is something you already have if you're willing to accept it. Mm. Which sounds like what, Tim? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it's like you're not missing a piece of the puzzle. You're just not wanting to accept what God's given you. Right. And that that is the beauty and the key of joy and contentment is you you're not looking for it. You you already have it if you're willing to receive it. And um I mean we've talked about Ecclesiastes so many times, but in Ecclesiastes when he talks about the portion that he has, like the the slice of pie that each mm-hmm. person gets. You know, some people have a really big slice of pie, some people have a really small slice of pie. And it's just like that portion idea. And then you follow that word throughout the scriptures. And that word comes up in Lamentations chapter three, when Jeremiah is meditating on the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the very famous verses, his mercy is new every morning. But what's right after that? 
the Lord is my portion. And here's Jeremiah with physically nothing. And his joy is that he has something that cannot be taken away from him. Mm -hmm. And so I really liked that idea in the joy chapter. And Mm -hmm. you read through that devotionally, think about what he's saying. I think that'll be a blessing to you. And then the other uh, kind of my, don't unplug my microphone. That's a no, no. Uh, the other one was in the, um, I think this is the self-control chapter. Yeah, it's a self-control chapter. So right at the end of the book. And, uh, I think he just kind of phrased something in a way that I agree with. And he said it in a way that, I'm, man, I wish I could have thought of that, you know, or I wish I would have been able to piece something like that together earlier. And he's the, the idea is that the tension, which we've talked about on this podcast, it's in the, the middle of our discipleship questions. We know we're supposed to obey, so you need to obey. But what happens if I obey and I'm obeying for the wrong reason? And I think we can all maybe think of an example where we externally did something we knew we were supposed to do, but internally we're like, man, I do not want to do this. It's almost you can, you can obey out of spite or jealousy or like uh, selfish ambition. And he's, he's kind of talking about that. Like, how do you develop self-control that isn't just human-fueled grit? And I love how he, he's, so we'll just read through here. Uh, he, so he's talking about the Proverbs, seductress. Uh, so we'll just read a little bit here. Self-control, simply put, is the ability to look at a piece of chocolate cake and not eat it. Okay, sure. Uh, to accidentally click on an explicit link and immediately close the window. To hear a tidbit of salacious gossip and in the conversation. Self-control is speaking with kindness and love when you want to scream. So it's self-control. Like, I'm not doing what I want to do. No problems there. I, I like how he's developing it. When the seductress woos the self-controlled young man, and he quotes from Proverbs 7, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh. He flies away like Joseph, Genesis 39. Self-control is the resistance of temptation and the refusal to give indwelling sin the upper hand. And I really like the use of the term indwelling because there's something else that indwells us once we become believers. And indwelling sin competes with this other indwelling thing. Anyway. Resisting temptation is not the gospel, but it is a mark of all who have come to truly embrace it. So when you think about self-control, it is not your resistance to sin that saves you. It's not your effort. That's not the gospel. But if you really embrace the gospel, you will resist temptation. Yeah. We shouldn't dismiss self-control even when some wrongly boil down Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. Of course, grace precedes obedience because grace enables obedience. We can rejoice in the fact that the gospel is fundamentally about what Christ did. He died for the sins, past, present, and future, of all who would turn and trust him. Praise God. But this truth must not be used to deny the need to fight sin. Self-control is a gift, but it is also a command. And so thought he's just, he's building that tension well, 
that you need both sides of that coin. Mm -hmm. I really like the phrase, grace precedes obedience because grace enables obedience. And if you think that through theologically, a passage we've cited so many times, James 4, or uh, Peter quotes it as well, God opposes or resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if someone is allowing the indwelling sin or the flesh to control them, that is quite simply the opposite of humility, which means God's grace is not at work within you. So if you are obeying with selfish ambition or for some wrong motive, uh, externally, but the motive internally is off, it's actually not obedience. So I like the way how he said there, grace precedes obedience. And I wrote in my margin there, humility uh, precedes grace. So humility precedes grace and grace precedes obedience. If you really want to grow in genuine obedience, genuine self-control, you have to learn to be really humble and allow the spirit that's the other indwelling thing, the indwelling spirit to fill you and control you. Mm-hmm. That's why humility is so important. So I, I think he, he talks about that really well in uh, that chapter on self-control. So two, two good chapters. There's a lot of good points in there. Overall, I'm, it's, it's a very specific book. A lot of the illustrations he uses are of him in ministry. Uh-huh. So some, you know, some gal reading it, the illustrations might be missed on them a little Mm -hmm. bit because it's about being a pastor. Uh Uh, Even just a regular guy who's not a pastor, not being able to draw upon the same type of illustration. Like there's things he said. And as a former pastor, I was like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. So what would you rate it? Five and a half. Okay. Five and a half. Pick five or six. Uh, Five and a half. (laughs) I'll go, I'll go with five. I'll go with five. There we go. I can't remember where that lands on our scale. Uh, like what right the, in the middle. Isn't is it five the Gimli? What was the Gimli number? <laughs> there was one that was it. like, this is the Gimli. Like, it's really solid, but, you know, it's not Aragorn or Legolas. You know, anyway, uh, it, it's a good book. I think you'd be blessed by it. I think if you read it devotionally and with your Bible alongside of you and you meditate on... Uh, the virtues he's exalting, and then you even maybe do a little bit extra study in the word along with it, where you pull up the terms and where is you know patience or meekness or love uh, connected to Christ uh-huh. or God the Father, and you th- kind of do more scriptural study along with it, it'll be even better. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, a five character matters by Aaron Meinikoff. And a five is a Gimli. I looked it up for you. Yes. What is the quote next to it? On the website, does it have something? Uh, Those were just everyone can be uh, be Aragorn or Gandalf. (laughs) A five is like a Gimli. (laughs) Yes, which I can remember where I sat and in what coffee shop I was sitting when I wrote those very nonsensical uh, lines about our Thinkling's goodness scale. Well done. Anyway, so there's the book, and uh, how about we have a final thought, final word. From God's word. I don't remember exactly what it was. <laughs> final thought, a final meditation from final God's meditation word. Final meditation from God's word. So Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. We're just going to look at three verses. I'm going to start by reading them in the English Standard Version. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me 
falsehood, and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. These three verses are a nice unit in Proverbs chapter 30. It starts off with this question, Two things I ask of you. Then he further emphasizes his request uh, through uh, a negation and then this like superlative statement at the end. He states, deny them not to me. Then he states, before I die, which is like, really, it's like very dramatic. And some have concluded and wondered, is he making this request when he is near death? It doesn't seem to fit to me. It just seems to be like, um, even today, people use an expression like, I'm going to die. Um, it, it is like a dramatic uh, um way of emphasizing the request. So what he desires here, the two things that he asks, he then states in verses 8 and 9. And he and, it, and it's an imperative. The first one here is, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And this is kind of like a negative. It's, it's like, take these things away from me. But it's bad things that he wants removed from him, falsehood and lying. And this is a question, you know, Carter, I might interact with you a little bit on this. What does it mean to remove falsehood and lying from you? Okay, you think about that. I'm going to come back to it. Because then I want, I want to get to the second thing that he asks. And I believe these are the two things that he's asking. Remove something, falsehood and lying. Then second, give me neither poverty nor riches. And again, this is ne- a negation. Do not give me poverty or riches. Two things he does not want. So those are the two things that he asks, and they seem very disjointed. Falsehood and lying, poverty nor riches. So what does it mean to remove falsehood and lying? I had an idea of what this meant when I came to this text. And then after studying it, that idea proved false. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not sure. I I mean, at first glance, yeah, I would assume it is the author asking for, I don't want to say virtue, but like, help me to not be false, false, or yeah. help me not to lie. Okay, that's that would, the idea. But now, that doesn't jive at all with the second one. <laughs> exactly. So it's yeah. I would. I so would. It's like, what is this? Yeah. Okay. So I I had the perception that he's saying. People who are liars and uh, false statements, keep them away from me. Sure. I don't want any of that nonsense near me. And I thought that's what it was referring to. But I was convinced after studying the text, that's not what it's saying. What he's actually requesting is that he himself speaks truth. Did I get it right? Yeah. (gasps) And now, you know, it's it's a pat on my back, but it's ultimately... (laughs) A pat on your back because you taught me Hebrew. So, you know. (laughs) Well, it comes from the next verse. And in the next verse, he ties the two points together. So in verse eight, remove lying and falsehood and don't give me uh, poverty or or riches. In fact, there's three statements here. Don't do this. Okay, remove this and don't do that. Then the third statement, 
feed me with the food that is needful for me, which is a very wordy translation. The idea here is feed me the bread that is my portion. Now, does that sound familiar? Feed me the bread that is my portion. Like, give me this day. My daily bread. Ding, ding, ding. Is this where Jesus gets it from? Well, I mean, he's God, but yeah. So is right? he, is like, does he quote? Like, it, I mean, it's not a word for word quote, sure. but there's clearly an allusion to Proverbs chapter 30 in mm. Jesus's prayer. In fact, that's a prayer that the Old Testament saint would have even himself prayed. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. That's what a gur is, is praying. He doesn't want poverty or riches. He's like, just give me my allotted portion which is something fascinating for us to think through and apply ourselves to think mm. through that we often consume more than an allotted portion that more than we need. Uh, God and his blessing has given us more than we need, but really all we really need is our allotted portion. All right, now moving into verse nine, there are two negative purpose clauses. So I'm going to just rehearse this. You have a negative statement, a negative statement, a positive statement. This is what he wants. Give me this day my daily bread. Okay, quoting Jesus, but then negative statement, negative statement. Now in verse nine, lest I be full, that would be the rich person, and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Because this is what the rich do. They're like, look at what I have accumulated. Look at what I have amassed for myself. Who is God? I have done this. I have built up. You know, look at this Babylon that I have built, says Nebuchadnezzar. Hmm. And who is the Lord? Now, is that a true statement? That we question or we... That this scoffer makes who, who denies the existence of God. Is that a true statement? When he states, who is the Lord? It's like he's it's the scoffer is speaking and he's saying that God doesn't exist. So no. So it's a falsehood. Yeah. Okay. Do you see the connection now? Remove falsehood far from me. Yeah. Remove falsehood far from me. If I have wealth and I have abundance, which by the way, okay, money is a root to all kinds of evil. There's no nothing inherently evil with money. Um, and we see that repeatedly even in the Proverbs, but there is a propensity when you have wealth to speak lies. You are lifted up in pride. Didn't we just talk about humility? Mm-hmm. And, and so that would be the first lie that would be stated. And then what happens if somebody is so poor that they cannot provide? And so then what do they do? We have our second perp- uh, negative purpose clause in verse nine, or lest I be poor and steal. And then what is the lie? And profane the name of my God. Because what, how are you profaning the name of God? By stealing. By stealing, what are you essentially saying? God can't provide for me. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. You nailed it. That's exactly right. And so that is the second lie. And I would just want to encourage our listener from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. Fitting upon the theme of contentment, and the character matters, the self-control and the humility, the peace that comes with your daily portion. Take delight in God's provision. Be content with what God has given you and speak the truth. Thank him for it. 
He is the one that has given. He is the one that has provided. It is not because of your intellect, uh, wisdom. It is all of God. Thank him for it and enjoy your portion today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings podcast.